On August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King stood up in front of a whole crowd of people up in D.C., and he gave an incredible speech, maybe one of the most famous speeches in American history. It was a speech that has been come, come to be known as the I Have a Dream speech. And I'm sure you've heard it, but here's the thing that you may not know about that speech. When, when Dr. King got into the podium to deliver that speech that day, he had about seven paragraphs written out about what he wanted to say. And had he stood there and just delivered those seven paragraphs, we would never remember the speech that he gave because they were okay, they were solid, they were sort of unremarkable. So he stood up there and he delivered the speech as written and kind of said his thing and just kind of, it was, it was okay. It, it wasn't, it, he wasn't killing it up there, right? It was just, it was an okay speech. And while he was standing up there, a good friend of his, a gospel singer named Mahalia Jackson, she was sitting behind him on the podium. And you can actually see this if you go back and look at a video of, of, this, of this clip uh, of the speech. But as, as he's sitting there giving the speech, Mahalia Jackson starts to say to him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And she kind of speaks up and he hears that. And you can see it on the video. There's this moment where Dr. King looks over at her and then he pauses and he takes his paper and he just moves it over on the podium. And he starts in with, I have a dream today. And he goes into then the, the speech that we know, what becomes the most famous speech. It wasn't, it wasn't written down. It wasn't from the notes. It was from the heart. It was something he had said before. It was something he had used in churches all over the country. It was, it was a powerful speech. And the reason it's so good is because King didn't get up there and say, I have a 14-point plan today. You know, he didn't get up there and and. and bury you like, a, like, a, like an engineer giving a, you know, a technical talk, he gave, got up there and gave a vision for the future of what America could be, not what it was, what he dreamed it could be. And there's something about that that inspires us when someone just lays out the vision. This is what I hope for. This is what I see in the future. I can picture a world where this is happening, where people are judged not by the color of the skin, but by the content of the character. You may remember him saying that. It's a great line. And, and there's something about that vision, that, that crystal clear, this is the way it's going to look, that, that moves us and, and, and compels us. Not a plan. Yeah, you have to make a plan, sure, but that's not what moves us. A, a, a clear vision is, is what moves us and, and changes us, and it's, and it's effective. So I want to talk about that today, this idea of vision. And, and we're in this series called Rewrite Your Future. And the idea in the series, and I just want to recap just here for a moment, the idea of this series is we get stuck. Yeah, you feel this in December when you're making New Year's resolutions, but even here midway through the year, we get stuck. We feel like, hey, I want to be something that I'm not, whether it's fitness or health or, or, or spirituality or, or faith in, in, in our intellectual knowledge, our growth, our career, our relationships. We get stuck and feel like we've plateaued or, or whatever. And, and I want to talk about how we, how we change, how we grow, how we become um, who we want to be and, and who God's calling us to be. And, and in this series, I said, basically, and you can find this all over the place, a lot of people will say this, something very similar to this, there are only two reasons why people change. Number one, the pain of staying the same is too great. It just hurts too much to be there where you're at. You will change when it hurts so much and you're like, I can't do this anymore. I have to shift to something else. Or, number two, you have a clear, compelling vision for your future. Now, in the month of June, on Sunday mornings here, we talked about number one there. 
We talked about feeling the pain to understand why you are where you are and where are you exactly and, and talk about our past and talk about forgiveness and all of that. And, and for the month of July, I want to really unpack this second piece to, about a clear, compelling vision for your future. Because if you can develop that, it will pull you forward and you will, you, you will change. You have to have a clear vision of where you want to go. What we do often is we set goals, which is a little different than having a vision. But we set goals. We say, man, I want to lose 10 pounds. Uh, okay, but it, Why? What's that connected to? What's, what's really going on there? Because if your goal is just, I want to lose 10 pounds, you'll probably quit at some point during that because it's not, that's not incredibly compelling. Um, I've actually gotten really comfortable with this idea that you have to have this why behind, um, uh, behind what you're doing. You have to have a vision for where you go. In fact, when people meet with me, I, I've gotten into the habit of asking people, what are you trying to accomplish there? What do you actually want? Why would you try to pursue X when they say, man, I'm struggling, I'm trying to get this, and I'll say, well, why do you even want that? Like to just start asking people to get very clear on the vision they have for their lives because if you get clear on the why, you'll be able to figure out the how of, of how you're gonna get there. In fact, uh, the old philosopher Nietzsche said it this way, he who has a strong enough why can bear with almost any how. You'll put up with a whole lot of stuff if you're really clear on the why of where you want to go. Darren Hardy, a, a, a author and speaker, says it this way. The person who has a clear, compelling, and white-hot burning why will always defeat even the best of the best at doing the how. There's something to this. If you know why you want to get somewhere and you're very clear on that destination, if you have the dream and you've got a, a clear picture of it, that's going to help you figure out the how, and it's going to help pull you forward. The clearer your vision is, the more likely you're to, to fulfill it. If you know why, you get clear on the target, you'll put up with the pain that it takes to get there. That's why signing up for a race is helpful. Some of you are like, man, I, I really should run more. Sign up for the half marathon in November. You will get out and run more. Because you've got a thing on the counter, you've got a goal, you've got a vision, you've got a clear, oh, this thing's hanging out over in front of me, now I'll get up and do it. But saying, I want to run more is not going to be enough. Because you could go run once and that's more, right? It's more than I did last week. Okay, I've done it. More, done. Like, more is not a target. Like, set a clear vision and it will pull you forward. Get real clear about where you want to go. So I want to give you some ideas on why you should develop a vision and, and, and how to develop a vision. Number one, having a clear vision helps us to be faithful stewards of what God has given to us. In Matthew chapter 25 in the New Testament, we're going to open there in a second. We'll also put it up on the screen. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking to the crowds, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And when he says kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about a place you go when you die, but he's talking about God's, a, a place where God's will, where, where it is as God wills it to be. So the, the idea of kingdom of heaven is, is, is in the future, but it's also now. The, the range of God's effective will is what Dallas Willard calls it. So Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven, what it's like to be the people of God doing God's will in the world. And, and to, to, to explain that, and he explains it a lot of different ways in, in the New Testament, to explain that, he tells this story. And if you've been around church, and certainly at this church, I've told this, this story before, but he tells this parable to explain the kingdom of heaven. And I, and I want you to see how it connects to vision here in a second. Uh, Matthew 25, uh, it, it's called the parable of the talents. And we'll, we'll read it, to Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. For it will be, the kingdom of heaven he's talking about, it will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Okay, wealthy man, he's giving out talents, which are money, right? So he's giving out, he calls three servants. He says, you're getting five, you're getting two, you're getting one. All of them, it wasn't theirs to begin with. They were being given a gift by the master. And he says, I want you to take this and go make something out of this. So he hands them all some money and expects that they're going to do something good with that money. Let's continue on. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay, let me stop there for a second. People often teach this story, and I think rightly so to some degree. People often teach this story like it's about money, and you can talk about investment and, and, and risk and things like that around money in this story. But remember, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. So even though on the surface the story is about money, it's not just about money. It, it's about some larger concepts than that. It's this kingdom idea. It's about stewardship, and stewardship is about how you handle the resources God has given you. Your talent, your money, your time, your health, your knowledge, all of these things God has graciously given to you, and some have been given a lot of those things, and some have been given a little. We don't know how much time we have, but all of us have been given time. I don't know how smart you are, but God has put something in your brain. I don't know, uh, I don't know how much money you make, but God has given you some. All of us have been given some, and the idea is to be a steward, to, to handle that stuff well, no matter what that stuff is. Handle it well and use it to honor him and, and serve him. Invest well, and you will be rewarded for it. That's what we see here. People went out and made something out of what they'd been given, and the master rewards them. But it also comes with a warning. Look at the, the last guy who was given one talent, verse 24. He also he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him who had and give, it to, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who's, who has will be given, more will, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa, that's a little intense. Dial it back a little bit, Right? You read it and you're like, man, why? It's coming pretty hard at the guy. First of all, he only gave him one. He gave the other guys two and five. I mean, he had, he had already started in a weird place. Like, 
you know, if the guy saw they like, how come I didn't get two or five or whatever? He said, but it said up front, he gave it according to their ability. Like, I guess he just thought, well, this guy, I'll just give him one, see how he does with it. And the guy comes back and, and says, hey, I, uh, I buried your money. I didn't do anything with it. Here, you can have it back. And that's really interesting, right? Because if you look at what he says about why he buried the money, you can see something's going on in his head. If you were here last month, you know, we would call this maybe a racket he's running. He's sitting there saying, look, he's justifying his behavior, saying, I buried this. Why? Well, because I know, this is what he says, I know you're such a hard man, and you are going to be really harsh with me, and you gather seed where you haven't sown seed, and all this, like, he gives all these things. Therefore, I was afraid, and I hid your money. So in other words, he says, I did nothing, and it's your fault. Isn't that basically what he's saying? I, didn't, I buried it, and it's because you're such a, you're such a hard guy. If you weren't so bad and, and so, so scary, maybe I would have gone and done something with the money. And the master refers to him as wicked and slothful or lazy. Some translations say lazy. And I thought, man, that's so harsh. Like, maybe the guy is cautious. Maybe he's financially cautious. Certainly many of us can relate to that. Maybe he is risk averse. Maybe he has a low risk tolerance with his money. Like, man, calling the guy wicked and lazy, maybe he's just careful. I think he calls him wicked and lazy because he recognizes in this guy that he's unwilling to lean in and take advantage of what he has been blessed with. Much has been given to him. The, ta the talent he was given was more than he had. Much has been given to him, and he was too scared to lean in and make something out of it. Why should we develop a vision for our lives? Because I think if you take an inventory of your life and you think about your own talents and time and treasure and your, uh, your abilities and your knowledge and all that, I think if you take an inventory for a minute, you'll realize you have been given something. God has placed something in your hand and in your heart and in your mind. He's poured into you something, and the point is, do something with it. Make the most of it. So when you develop a vision for your life and say, this is where I'm going to go, what you're, you're saying is, this is how I'm going to be faithful to steward the gifts that God has given to me. You should be pursuing that vision, having a clear vision, pursuing it, and, and realizing your potential. I have a friend uh, named Chris who's coached me through a lot of this stuff, and we've, we've talked and teach this kind of stuff together, and uh, he lives out in Denver, and he, and he was a... For, a few years, he was a coach. He would coach people one on one. Now he primarily teaches. But uh, I was asking him. I said, "Hey, when you coach people, when they hire you as like a life coach or whatever, what do you tell them that you do like for them? How do you, how do you explain what you do?" And he says, "Oh, I tell people I help them lower their potential." And I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> uh, you help people lower their potential? That doesn't sound..." Like, you want to sign up for that? Like, is that, what's the deal? And he goes, no. Like, potential is, is like latent vision that's inside you. It's like lying dormant. And, and so I help people articulate their vision, know where they're going, and lower their potential. Potential is you're going to be something. I help people be something and see where they want to go and, and get clear on it and make it happen. And I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. 
if, if potential is sort of this unrealized vision. Like if you, if you see an eight-year-old and you say, you have so much potential, that's great, right? An eight-year-old should have potential. They're learning things and growing. That's awesome. If you're like 48 and people are talking about how much potential you have, it's a little sad, right? It's, it's like, oh, you're going to be something someday. And you're like, shouldn't I have already done something? Like, right? So, so really the goal is to lower your potential, to actually do the things that are inside you that God has placed there, to actually go after that stuff. We should be lowering our potential. So number one, uh, n- number one, having a clear vision helps us to be faithful stewards of all that potential, of all that stuff that God has placed inside of us. Number two, having a clear vision gives us some guardrails. Here's, here's the challenge in this country. We suffer from too many options. There's just too many things we could do. It, it, it's great to be in the land of the free and the home of the brave and, and all of that, and, you know, I, I'll wave the flag and watch the fireworks and have steak and the whole thing. Like, it's awesome, Right? But there's some downsides to, to this. It sounds weird to say, but there's some downsides to it. And we, we just have so many options that we get paralyzed by it. I mean, just in, it's exhausting. Like if you've been in some other countries and you walk in to buy toilet paper, you go, I want toilet paper. What am I going to buy? Oh, the toilet paper. That's what they have in the little market. I'm just going to buy the toilet paper. Go home. You go in a, in a market in America, though, and it's like, do you want two-ply? Do you want three-ply? Do you want one flowers on it? Do you want lotion? Do you want, you know, a thousand count? Do you want, like, it's just like... Who has the mental capacity and energy to make that kind of decision about toilet paper? Like, no wonder what we have so, like, low-level anxiety. Like, even toilet paper is a, is a challenge for us to figure out what we want to do. I don't know. There's so many, you know? Like, what's going on? We have so many options, and we, we kind of get mentally, emotionally, sort of physically, like, so we, we're scattered out all over the place. And it's overwhelming. So many, so much freedom can be actually overwhelming. We get paralyzed by the options. Where do I want to live? Do I want to live in this city and that city? What about housing? Do I want to have this kind of place or that kind of place? What about dating? So many fish in the sea. What about, do I want to watch this show? Oh, oh, so many challenges, so many uh, different types of food. And with all of these options that are out there, we end up just kind of getting stuck and paralyzed because there's so much that we could be doing. Uh, uh, Writer Robert Brault says it this way, we are kept from our goal not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. We set out a vision, say this is where we want to go, and a lot of times the reason we don't get there is because there's a clear path to something much easier. I want to exercise, but the couch and Netflix is way easier. There's a clear path to that. It's like 10 steps from my bedroom to like that sofa, right? So we're kept from the the big goal by a clear path to these lesser goals. And having a clearer vision will give us some guardrails. In the Old Testament, um, the people of Israel following after God, uh, King Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter 29. Look at this. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. In other words, the, the word from God, the prophetic vision for the lives of the people of Israel uh, it, it, it gives guardrails to, to your life. It gives guardrails about where you're going and what you're doing. And without it, you ca- it says you cast off restraint. That sounds awesome, but it's not. You cast off restraint, and you can do anything. And that sounds great in America, in a country that was founded by casting off restraint, right? That's the, our history of our history. We are the people who, you know, we sort of like, 
kicked England out, and King George, like, we're not doing the thing. Like, that sounds awesome. We are going to be self-determining. We are going to be the land of the free. We're going to be able to do whatever we want to do whenever we want. And that sounds like freedom, but in the end, it leads to slavery. And then in the end, it leads to, I'm going to follow my lusts. I'm going to follow my gut wherever. I'm going to eat whatever, and I'm going to be enslaved by a whole bunch of new things, and I'm going to pretend that I'm just really, really free. A clear vision gives us guardrails. It says, do this, not this. So if I want to pound chocolate, and believe me, I want to pound chocolate. If I want to pound chocolate, and I have a clear vision of the kind of health I want to have, and the kind of life I want to have, and how long I want to live, and do I want to see grandkids, and all of that stuff, if I get a clear vision about that, I say no to chocolate all the time. Not that I won't have it occasionally, but I don't have it nearly as much as I want because I have a clear vision of who I want to be and, and, and do I want to be around and in what shape do I want to be around to be with my, my family. If your vision is to be incredibly healthy and you get very clear about what that will do for you, it helps you lay off the chocolate. So having a clear vision gives you guardrails. And then number three, having a clear vision pulls us forward, especially through pain. Developing a vision for your life and pursuing it um, will require some discipline. It's going to require you get up and do these things, or you do this every night before bed, or you eat this, not that. You make these kind of choices. Um, it's going to require us to put in some work, um, and, 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 it, and that usually involves some pain. Unless your vision for your life is to watch Netflix on the sofa, then that's probably not going to require a lot of pain. But other than that, and anything that's worthwhile pursuing, you say, this is where I want to go, it's going to hurt at some point. Discipline doesn't always uh, feel good. And the only way you're going to put up with the pain that comes with the discipline is if you have a very clear vision of the future. The difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is the pain that I'm unwilling to endure. Here's the secret. Here's a secret of life. And those of you, the older you get, the more, the more you're going to shake your head and agree with me and more obvious this is. Here, here's the reality. Uh, there, there's just pain all throughout life. There just is. And you get older, your body just starts hurting, just to remind you, right? But beyond that, beyond that, you see people die. You see relationships blow up. You read enough newspaper articles about all the things going on, and you just realize, man, I, this ain't paradise. There's, there's a lot of pain here. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of suffering. That's just, that's just the way it is. Pain is inevitable, and actually, pain is necessary for us to grow, for us to become something. We have to push against something. There needs to be some sort of resistance. You don't lift weights that weigh nothing. You lift weights that are heavy because it brings the pain and it helps you to grow and come back even stronger. The vision, having a vision for your life will put some purpose even into your pain. I was a music major in college, a degree in church music in undergrad, and um, when you play piano or you're a singer or whatever, you just have to practice for long periods of time, lots of sitting at a piano, and it's not fun practice. It's, you know, scales, and, and 
working on the one part of the piece that you can't get right, and you have to just do it over and over. Listening to somebody do it's horrible. Uh, those of you with little children, especially if they're playing violin, you know how rough that can be. Uh, like, let, just, you got to go over it. But you do it because you have a vision of who you want to be. You either have a vision of getting that degree or performing on that stage or whatever. You can see, like, okay, one day I'm going to do this. Therefore, I'm going to endure the pain of this practice. I'm going to log these hours so that I can be that. Vision, a clear vision will help pull you through the pain. I think this is especially true for followers of Jesus because we follow someone who, who endured pain and told us this is the way it goes. Like we followed someone who took it all the way to the cross and died for us and said, come follow me, come die with me. Like that's part of the deal. The pain shouldn't surprise us. We may not like it still, but it's part of the deal. But we as followers of Jesus, and I know that's not everybody in this room, but if you are, this is for you. As followers of Jesus, we have a vision of the future, a, 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 a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, that, that God is making that for us and is going to make all things new and is going to make things right. And so we can endure that pain because we are following in Christ's footsteps. So two quick ideas to get, to get a clear vision, and then we're done. Number one, dream big. Dream big. Imagine, you're going to have to pull out your imagination, and we don't imagine much past, like, grade school, right? But imagine what could be for your life. Imagine what could be. Imagine what would be extraordinary. Not ordinary, not regular, not just plain. Imagine what an extraordinary life would look like in in your context. Um, My experience has been that many people stop doing this. At some point, they sort of tap out, and maybe as you get older, you sort of go, ah, Whatever I was going to be, I can't now. Life's over mostly. I'm just going to ride this thing. I'll take a victory lap and just ride this thing home. Man, I, I don't know. I, I think there's still. Your brain has incredible capacity to have new thoughts and do new things for like a couple hundred million years. So I, I think you have the capacity within you to continue to dream big. And many people just stop. And I've seen this. I've seen this with people I know and love where they just, where they just stop. They just stop dreaming. They stop thinking they can become something. They stop thinking that the future has any hope in it, that there's anything there to go towards. Uh, writer P.K. Bernard says it this way, a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. We don't have a new way forward. We don't rewrite our future because we're still doing the past. We're just doing it again, going out into the future. We're just like, I have no clear vision. I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done and just kind of coast. Dream big. Imagine again. The days are passing. We're all getting older. We're all doing something, but many of us lack any vision. We're not building something new. We're not discovering. We're not rewriting We're slowly drifting into that default future, which is basically just living out our past all over again. We we put it in your notes today in the app, and we're going to post it online as well. A a one-page sheet that I gave you, that that, that I'm giving you, just to to think about vision. And it just asks you like five or six questions. What what, What would be extraordinary in your finances? What would be extraordinary in your relationships? What would be extraordinary in your faith? What would be like just it it uses the word extraordinary as a word designed to push you to dream big. Don't say what would be extraordinary in my finances if I could pay rent this month. That is true, and, and, and maybe that's where you're at right now. You go, man, I need to pay rent this month. But think big here. Just try it. Try it. Dream big, and let's, and let's see where this goes. 
So number one, dream big, and number two for a vision, I would say this, and this is, this is why we gave you this worksheet, is write it down. Write it down. It is a game changer. Honestly, it's a game changer when you put this stuff, pencil and paper, or type it into Evernote or whatever. Like when you write it down, that changes things in us. Uh, Robert Cialdini wrote a book called Influence that I found to be really interesting, and he talks about the power of making a commitment, writing it down, and even sharing it with other people. And he tells about a woman in San Diego who was trying to quit smoking. And this woman knew all of the stuff about why you should quit smoking, uh, cancer and all those things, you know. But it was never really moved her. She could never quite do it. And, and listen to her tell the story of how she finally quit. She says this, I made a list of all the people who I really wanted to respect me. Then I went out and got some blank business cards, and I wrote on the back of each card, I promise you that I will never smoke another cigarette. Within a week, I had given or sent a signed card to everybody on my list. My dad, my brother back east, my boss, my best girlfriend, my ex-husband, everybody but one, the guy I was dating then. I was just crazy about him, and I really wanted him to value me as a person. Believe me, I thought twice about giving him a card because I knew that if I couldn't keep my promise to him, I'd die. But one day at the office, he worked in the same building I did. I just walked up to him, handed him the card, and walked away without saying any, anything. Quitting cold turkey was the hardest thing I've ever done. There must have been a thousand times when I thought I had to smoke. But whenever that happened, I'd just picture how all of the people on my list, especially this one guy, would think less of me if I couldn't stick to my guns. And that's all it took. I've never taken another puff. There's something powerful about writing it down and even sharing that vision. And I know it kicks up fear in us. But what if I write this down? Then it's real. What if I fail? Man, you might fail. Aren't I just setting myself up for disappointment by dreaming big and not getting it? Yeah, you, you might fail, but like, you know, like, you would tell, like you would tell a kid in Little League, right? Like, swing at the pitch when it goes by. Don't just stand there. If you're going to strike out, go down swinging. Take a shot. And remember this. Remember that God is for you. If you read through the Psalms, there's so much encouraging stuff in there. And, and I came across this in Psalm 37. Listen to this. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Though we blow it, though we aim for the fences and we kind of have a, gr a ground out to first base, um, that's okay. And, 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 and God will actually hold us. And, and we may fail and we, we, we may really mess it up, but there can be redemption. God loves to make crooked paths straight. My own kids, I, I love to see them try. I love to see them risk. I love to see them invest. I love to see them go for something. Even if they don't hit it, it's not about whether they made it or not or they accomplished it. I love to see them lean in. And I believe God wants us to risk. And so let me challenge you to lean in and make the most of the life that you have. To dream big. Tell them about the dream, Martin. That's what I want to tell you. Tell them about the dream and write it down. And once you start doing that, once you have this, okay, this is where I want to go, you're going to start making promises to fulfill that dream. You're going to start making some commitments, and you're going to blow some of those, right? That's what we're going to talk about next week, about how those promises and commitments can, can lead us and pull us forward. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for the vision that you've given us of um, who we are to be as followers of you, just at a very basic level in our identity and who, who you call us to be, the, and the vision you've given us about uh, the future, about heaven, about hope, about what life is, meaning and purpose. Um, and God, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know all of that, that hasn't dialed into that, that doesn't understand that story, that, that, or they've heard it and it hasn't changed them and moved them, I pray you do your work in, in hearts today. And God, help us to develop a very clear vision of our future, of where we want to go and, and how we can make the most so that we can invest the talents that you have poured into us, so that we can be good stewards of, of what you've given to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.